0: chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. In my former book Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city.
1: Our Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for giving us life and for giving us life through your word, uh, eternal life. We pray that you would help us now as we, as we read these words to believe them and to apply them to our own lives and to our own circumstances and to the life of this church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been uh, greatly looking forward to this sermon series on Acts. Speaking personally, it's a part of the Bible I find utterly gripping and uh, looking forward to spending time personally with with my own reflections and learning, but also as a pastor during this moment of the life of Trinity Church Mount Barker, uh, praying that it is spiritually invigorating for us and refreshing for us all in all sorts of ways, including ways that we can't anticipate, because that's how God works. After all, the Son of God has been exalted and the Spirit of God has been unleashed. It's exciting. Uh, There is a church planting organization. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, They're based in the US. They also operate here called Acts 29. You heard of Acts 29? It's a great name, isn't it? Um, Have you ever looked up Acts 29? Okay, there is no Acts 29. Uh, The more to the point, we're in it. We are living Acts 29. It's quite clever. Um, Now, maybe there's a big time gap between Acts 28 where this book finishes and, uh, you know, Paul is in Rome in house arrest uh, explaining the gospel to people who come to him and then 2020 now uh, where a third of the humans on the planet call themselves Christians. There's a big time gap uh, and yet uh, there is continuity. We live in what's called the apostolic era, also known as the era of the Holy Spirit, the age of the Holy Spirit. We have the same words of Christ Echoing in our ears, actually, these words that we're going to look at this morning, his last words. uh, The spirit who was unleashed in Acts is still working on the same project today. We're still in the time of the great harvest of the global people of God. Perhaps you're tempted to think that the church of Christ is in decline. Perhaps your faith has taken some hits in recent years. 2017 was a hard year, don't you reckon? 2017, the, the few things happened in 2017. It, first of all, it was the year of the postal survey. Remember that, a- and uh, and we it was very controversial and difficult, and and we realised that the majority of Australians were happy to abandon the biblical and traditional view of marriage as being between a man and a woman and this happened at a racing pace too for years and years the the middle of australia you know the the easygoing masses they just looked like they would never shape never shift their views on this but all of a sudden we we looked around and we had friends and family and colleagues and neighbors who were starting to see not not the, the the progressives as the outliers but seeing us the church we were the outliers And many of us agonised over that issue, you know, we're the people of love, and yet we're being portrayed as society's haters. How did that make you feel? 2017 was also the year of the handing down of the final report of the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Abuse in Australia. And and we, you know, it's not like we didn't see the tsunami coming a long way off, uh, long before the details were published, but The denominations in Australia, along with a range of other organizations, were deluged with shame as this awful history was brought to light. uh, Not only had trusted leaders committed appalling acts on people under their care, the denominations themselves had turned a blind eye. Right across the board, they had relocated troublemakers to new parishes. Thank you very much send them off to people where no one knows how they work and what they're up to, and they can do it all again. And the community vocalized in new ways a disgust with institutional religion. Uh, it had long been brewing, but you know, now there's no longer need to be polite anymore about the church that has had this stranglehold over modern life for far too long. How did that make you feel? It was a big year. Now, you know, we we should say, uh, in some ways, maybe our feelings should take second place in light of the suffering of members of the LGBT community and uh, those abused in churches. That's a a fair point to make. However, I do believe that these last few years have shaken a lot of Christians to their very core. With all this opposition, you know, maybe we're thinking we we need to go quiet for a little while. Let's just go under the radar until some of this heat dissipates. Have you, sa- have you found yourself thinking like that at all? Well, what the book of Acts does for us is it, it, it encourages us to look at things differently. It shows us a totally different dynamic that is at work in the world. A power, a transformational energy, if you like. It isn't affected at all or diminished at all by the ebb and flow of human society on various issues governments and empires come and go social movements come and go technological transformations come and go but this dynamic this power just never stops and it's not an impersonal force like so-called karma this is very much personal power it's the power of the supreme person in the universe no longer is he subject to the whims And the whips of those around him. Never again will he be insulted and beaten, stripped naked and hung on a humiliating and excruciating pole for the world to see and scorn. Never again. That was the path of his obedience, the path of his sacrifice, the path by which he won our salvation. No, he is now vindicated and he is glorified He is God's righteous man and he has received all of God's authority in heaven and on earth and his name is Jesus Christ and he is our Lord and he is our Savior. It's the same Jesus we meet in the Gospels. But in in Acts, his work has a different shape and it will involve us. If we get our heads around Christ's mission and we step up, and allow God to use us, we won't be timid. We won't be trying to get under the radar. We will be amazed and we will be empowered. So let's dive into Acts chapter 1. work our way today through the first 14 verses, trying uh, both to understand and then towards the end just to apply briefly to our own lives. So this first part then, understanding apostolic witness. And I'm going to break the passage into into thirds and I guess make three points. The first point is mission phase two. The second point is mission apostolic witness. And the third point is mission prayerful patience. Point one, mission phase two. The writer Luke begins like this. In my former book Theophilus. Now I don't know if you know much about Theophilus. There's a few things we can work out. We don't know much about him, but we do know about Luke's former book, as he mentions it, known as the Gospel of Luke. Theophilus is named in the introduction to both of these volumes, Volume 1 and 2, and they're both written to Theophilus. In the intro to Volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, and we've actually been studying the Gospel of Luke every Sunday here since Christmas, Luke says that he has made a careful Compilation of all the sources that have been handed down from the very first eyewitnesses with the purpose of supplying to this man, Theophilus, an orderly account of the things that have happened among us. And he gives Theophilus the reason why he's done this. The reason is so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. That's what we need, isn't it? Um, sometimes we, we really feel that certainty around the things we've been taught. What actually happened when Jesus was on earth? And then, and then what happened next? If we're going to make sacrifices, if we're going to put our neck on the chopping block, if we're going to take risks, then, you know, we could do with that certainty. And Luke knows that. And that's the goal of both of these volumes. In a way, that intro to Luke sort of reaches over both volume one and volume two. Encourage you with certainty. But, but why two volumes? Why not just one? Why not just write it all at once? Well, because I think the reason is because there are two phases of the mission of God involving Jesus Christ. Come back to the opening sentence of Acts chapter 1 and we discover something very interesting. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That word began. It's very important. Luke didn't write about all that Jesus did and taught, but about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So then we come to the second volume, and it seems that Jesus is not done. He's only just begun. Maybe that can be our little mantra as we're studying Acts. Jesus is not done. He's only just begun. And it's fitting that Acts starts with Jesus and this momentous final conversation that he has with his chosen apostles. And the conversation that we're going to look at in a few minutes, it shows us that there is a second phase of Jesus' mission. Jesus, Jesus, uh, sorry, mission phase one, uh, Jesus performed himself. Yes, he was anointed by the Spirit, endorsed by the Father, followed by the disciples. And yet the miracles... And the exorcisms and the teachings, they all came from his own words. And then it was his actual own physical body that was crucified and then resurrected. We get to Acts, mission phase two, and the spirit is poured out and the church is born. And Christ's word and his body are still very much at work, but in a different mode. He will work through the agency of his apostles they will do Christ's work. As well as through the wider membership of the church, we'll see numerous people pop up through Acts as well who are doing the work of Christ, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Christ's powerful word in Acts is in many ways that the word about Christ too. The gospel, as it's called, or the word of God, which as it's mentioned in various ways throughout this book. And this message this gospel is itself unstoppable it's the word of christ and it's not stopped the very last phrase of this book is that the that paul carried on this ministry in rome even though he's in in prison he's in house arrest unhindered we're going to see all sorts of potential hindrances for this word of christ political and religious opposition internal um, corruption even within the church, seemingly insurmountable cultural gaps, arrests and imprisonments, shipwrecks, even martyrdoms. And yet nothing stops the gospel. It grows and grows, both numerically and in terms of its geographical spread. Mission phase two is about what Jesus goes on to do and to teach. Through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostles, through the Church, which is itself now Christ's body in the world. And the book of Acts shows us the launch of this mission phase two with particular reference to the Apostles Peter and Paul, as we'll see, uh, particularly we'll look at that a bit more next week. Point two, mission apostolic witness. It's a key phrase there, apostolic witness. Perhaps you remember what it's like to cram for exams. Some of you might have to think a little bit further back than others. Uh, you, you remember those last wo- weeks of term and you, you're trying to listen to every single word the lecturer says, just you know, hoping there's a clue to what's in the test, uh, anything that will be useful for, for you as you face the up- upcoming examination. Uh, well, Luke tells us that there's a period of only 40 days, just over a month, during which Jesus teaches the apostles that he has chosen in preparation for what is ahead for them. 40 days. And uh, Luke covers this for us in this passage in two ways. There's a summary of what I think probably were a number of conversations, and then there's a recounting of one particular conversation, the very last one. First, the summary, verse 3. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So two things that Luke highlights from these conversations were the proofs of Jesus' resurrection and the kingdom of God. They're the two things that they they need to cram on. I wonder what the proofs were. Uh, we know from the end of Luke's gospel, at least one of the proofs uh, was that he regularly ate with them. A bit hard to do that if you're a ghost, right? And I'm, you know, I'm sure there are many of us who would have loved to have been there to see these proofs with our own eyes, right? We would have loved it. But uh, for some reason, Jesus is satisfied with these particular sets of eyes. That'll be enough. Of course, many more than these actually saw the risen Christ, but these eyes were particularly important. Why, why is that? We'll come back to that. And then uh, the question of the kingdom of God. I wonder what he taught them about that. Can you imagine how exciting it would have been to have the risen Jesus with you, teaching you about the kingdom of God? How excited would you be? I mean, one thing that I'm sure that he would have spoken to them about was the connection between the kingdom and the spirit. Because it's all through the Old Testament, and sometimes we miss it. Uh, The Old Testament taught that simultaneously with the coming of God's kingdom would be the coming of God's revitalizing spirit. They would come together especially you know, the prophets of Isaiah, like Isaiah and um, Ezekiel and Joel, as we'll see in a couple of weeks. They spoke often of the pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. Do you remember that vision uh, from Ezekiel, chapter 37? The vivid vision of this valley of dry bones. And uh, God, God gives Ezekiel this vision, and it's a picture of dead Israel a nation that had died and dried up. And God says to to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. And he does, and in his vision, all these bones come together, the sinews and the flesh comes on them and so on, and and all these bodies, and yet they're still lifeless. And then God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, the spirit. It's the same word in Hebrew in in the language of the Old Testament. Prophesy to the spirit, He does this and breath, spirit, enters all the bodies and they they come to life and they stand on their feet, a vast army. It's a great chapter in Ezekiel. It's a vision of the spirit-empowered people of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. And this is the disciples' picture in their head of what that kingdom looks like. And so as we come to this final conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before his ascension, their question to Jesus is not a silly one. Although it is only part of the picture. It's in verse 6. Their question is, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the moment. You see, if you look at the verses just before that, you'll see he's just been talking with them about a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're not to go home. They don't live here in Jerusalem. They're they're not to go back to their fishing nets back in Galilee. They've got to stay here in Jerusalem and they've got to wait for the gift that the Father has promised. John the Baptist, Jesus said, John the Baptist had baptized them with water, but in a few days they had to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's verse 5. And so they're thinking, Ah, so the kingdom is coming in a few days. Is this the time you're going to restore our nation? I mean, look at the chaos. Do you you want us to prophesy to the breath and see the nation of Israel revived miraculously by the Spirit of God as your prophet uh, saw in advance? And Jesus' answer is, guys, times and dates, none of your business. Times and dates, just... Only the Father knows about the times and dates. Don't get hung up on the times and dates. But in a way, yes, Jesus, he's not saying, you silly twits, this has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. You've got it wrong again. He doesn't actually say that. He's he's actually saying in some ways that this is pretty much exactly what is about to happen. But just don't get hung up on the times and dates. Don't think it's all going to happen this week. And, you know, from where we sit 2,000 years later, we might say, yeah, guys, it might take a while. Jesus' answer has two parts, though. And the second part really uh, is the springboard for this whole book of Acts. It's the interpretative verse for the whole book of Acts. If you never re- have never read the whole book of Acts and you read this and you're told this is the summary verse, then as you read the book of Acts, you may not be surprised by what happens because th- this verse is so s- significant for what happens. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to them in answer to that question about whether he's going to restore the kingdom at this time, don't worry about the times and dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What? And that is Acts in a nutshell. The Holy Spirit would come upon the apostles with power. That power would then energize and enable the apostles to be Jesus' witnesses. It would start in Jerusalem. And it would fan out to the local regions, Judea and Samaria. But let's not stop there. It's going to head for the ends of the earth. And what we're going to see when we get to chapter 2 is Pentecost, and that's where the Spirit comes with power. And then in chapter 8, which is beyond the scope of this sermon series, but it's still worth saying now, in chapter 8, a persecution will break out against the church and that will scatter the believers through guess where? Judea and Samaria. And in that same chapter, uh, Philip is going to be taken to Samaria to bring the gospel to that region. And then he's going to suddenly meet this uh, Ethiopian on the road to this funny place. I can't remember the name, but it's the ends of the earth. I'm sure he could remember the name. It was Ethiopia. But, you know, totally different part of the world from where he is. And then, of course, you know, you skip on to chapter 28 and Paul is in Rome. That's the ends of the earth. And, of course, we know we're in Mount Barker. Doesn't get a mention in Acts, but we're kind of caught up in that ends of the earth bit. This is mission phase two. It's going to be the acts of the apostles, the mission of Jesus through the apostolic witness. You're going to witness for me in all these places and to the ends of the earth. Now, apostles, that word does get bandied around a bit. What does apostles mean? It literally, it comes from a Greek word, literally just means sent ones. And in some ways, all of us are apostles in that sense, sent by Christ. Uh, But this whole conversation is actually with the specific apostles that Jesus had chosen. It mentions he had chosen them in verse 2. He chose 12, although one of them is not there. We'll see what happens about that next week. The remaining 11 are listed by name right here in verse 13. Don't miss it. These are Jesus' authorized witnesses. It's going to be a big project. It's not something a dozen ordinary blokes are going to be able to pull off. But Jesus is effectively giving them his authority. We've talked about his authority over the last couple of weeks. As they go on this mission, they're going to have his authority. And he's also going to give them his spirit. So the authority of Christ and the power of the spirit will be everything they need for the mission. Point three, mission prayerful patience. Briefly. As soon as Jesus says these last words about their witness, near and far, uh, he is taken up before their very eyes. These are his last words. And uh, some writers have said that this is, we're supposed to see in this the exaltation of Christ, that he is, at this point he is exalted to the right hand of God. It's a, it's a visible demonstration of his exaltation to the presence of God. And a cloud hides him, and that's the last they see of him and then and then two men uh, dressed in white and they, they're suddenly standing bef- beside them. Hey, who are you? Uh, and they have a word for them. What are you looking up into the sky for? Uh, well, a man just spent the last three years with us and he just recently rose from the dead and now he's just floated up into the clouds before our eyes. That's why we're looking up into the sky. I'm sure they weren't that irreverent as they as they answered, um, but you can imagine, you know, them understand. You can understand them wondering what's going on. What, what have we just seen here? And then they get asked, um, you know, what are you looking up into the sky for? Uh, y- you know, these. But then these two men have uh, have a promise to relay to them, and the promise is very simple. He's coming back. You saw him go. He's coming back in the same way. And in one sense, you know, that's, that's really awesome and, and cool. We get to see him again. And for you and me, uh, the joy of seeing him for the first time with our eyes. There's, you know, don't ever diminish the joy of that. But it, it's more than just the joy here. He's just appointed them to a God-empowered cross-cultural world mission. Uh, and they will spearhead it. And there is work to be done, lots of it. Uh, so what are you doing looking up at the sky? Go on, go and get on with it. He's coming back and he will want you to have done the job. And so off they go back to the city uh, of Jerusalem and they, w- well, they wait. What else can they do? Uh, and That's actually what he asked them to do anyway, to wait for the gift the father promised. They would need his power to do this. How long do they have to wait? Well, they've had 40 days with Jesus and then Pentecost comes on the 50th day, so it turns out that they only had to wait 10 days. But they don't know that, of course. What they do know is, well, however long this is, we're going to have to stick together. You know, no one's going home. We've got to stay here in Jerusalem. I love verse 14. They all join together. Constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what do you do when you're waiting on God? Because a lot of our life, I think we feel like we're, we're waiting on God, and that's a, that's a good thing. That's a normal part of Christian life. What do you do? Well, the, the example here is you get together and pray. Constantly, it says... I take it that means repeatedly throughout the day, multiple days in a row, pouring themselves out to God in some kind of uncertain readiness. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we're ready for whatever it is. I wonder what they prayed. Well, what about us? And so just bringing things to a close now with this second part, part B, I guess, uh, applying apostolic witness today. And two quick points uh, as we apply apostolic witness today. We're going to think more about the apostolic witness over coming weeks. But just to start with, point one, we are the apostolic church. You know the Nicene Creed? The Nicene Creed comes from the 4th century. Uh, It's still said today. Uh, We say these words in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Apostolic. So Catholic there doesn't mean the Roman Catholic. It means universal or whole church. But what is the apostolic church? It's very important. It's the church founded on the teaching of the apostles. What they taught is what we believe. What they instructed with the authority of Christ is binding on us because of Christ. If we call ourselves followers of Christ. The, the Apostles' teaching is not optional or interesting. Um, it is interesting. <laughs> but it's not just interesting. It's core It's compulsory. I know, we don't like that word, but it is. It's compulsory if you call yourself a follower of Christ. Theology and doctrines that are formulated and articulated by the church must be consistent with the apostolic witness. This is our church. We are the apostolic church. There is no other true church than the church built on the witness of the apostles. The flip side is also true anything that can be found to differ from what they taught is not authentic christian doctrine because they spoke with the authority of jesus christ and people must not be required to hold doctrine in order to be a christian that differs with what the apostles said so if there are organizations or so-called denominations that don't hold to the apostles teaching we don't call them church regardless of whether they have Hollywood big names in their pews. So the apostolic witness is pretty important. The apostles are, in fact, our historical connection to Jesus as well. You know, we're connected to him spiritually via the Holy Spirit, of course, but not in any way that contradicts the apostles' witness or bypasses the apostles' witness. It's as you read the apostles' witness, that the Spirit of God connects you to the one they're talking to you about. Because the apostolic witness itself was Holy Spirit powered. Have you ever wondered why we talk about the New Testament as the Word of God? I mean, it's they're historical documents. We can trace them historically. We can, we can trace the I guess, the, the validity of them being near Jesus and all that. But we say more than that. We say they're the word of God. And it's because of this witness to the Lord Jesus that Jesus himself authorized. You are the ones. You will be my witnesses. These 12 really matter. Jesus authorized them and sent them to be the witness to the world. And as a result, everything we know about Jesus we have received from the apostles. I mean, you might find out some other things by doing historical reading outside, but you know what I mean, when we, everything we know from the New Testament text, because of course Jesus didn't write anything as far as we're aware. The gospels are the records of what Jesus said, because that's what the apostles preached. And it's the same with the rest of the New Testament. If a document in the New Testament isn't actually written by an apostle, it draws on or it compiles the teachings of one or more apostles. So the first point about this for the apostolic witness today is that we're the apostolic church. These guys really matter. A second point is, and in some places this might be a little controversial, but we're not apostles ourselves not in the capital A sense of Apostle anyway. That was a title for this specific time, this group at a particular time in history to be these authorised witnesses. And to some extent, if we start to get too sort of flexible on how we use that word Apostle, we can be undermining things unintentionally. Incidentally, what's the proof of their authorization? You may be wondering that. And... uh, we're just about to dive into a whole series on the book of Acts because I think in some ways the book of Acts itself is the proof, the authorization. We will see the apostles do things that only Jesus can do. And those to whom Jesus has given the authority, they will heal people. They will cast out demons with a word. They will raise the dead. And perhaps most significantly, although sometimes it falls off our radar, they will proclaim the kingdom of God that Christ proclaimed. Their power will validate their message in a unique and extraordinary way. Now, one of the questions that does get raised whenever you look at Acts is the question of whether we can expect to see or do those kinds of miracles today. We don't have time to go into that in detail. I have put some some thought into that and, and I've got some answers that I'll address, but particularly when we get to Acts chapter 3, where, where this comes up, and that's on the 23rd of February, so happy to answer your questions um, offline uh, beforehand, but we will look at that question. But what I do want to say today is just to be a little cautious of saying, uh, this happened in Acts, therefore go and do likewise. Go and raise the dead, um, because there may be, a, may be a discouragement for you if you're not able to do it. Uh, but that 's not to say that extraordinary things don 't happen as we 'll see. What we do what we need to do this term as we work through this book of Acts, is to keep asking, what does faithfulness look like in this apostolic period after the death of the apostles it 's a big question. Well, to finish. remember at the start, I asked you if you were uh, finding that the sort of sense that christ 's church is in decline. Don't be discouraged. Uh, I, just a few stats. Uh, at the end of the second century, the end of the so the year 200, 25 percent of the world's population was Christian. That's not bad, is it? In just a hundred and sixty seventy years or so, by the end of the third century, seven point five percent of the world's population were Christian. By the end of the fourth, fourth century. of the world's population. By the end of the 5th century, 20% of the world's population. Today, it's somewhere around 33% of the world's population. We've certainly seen lots of challenges for the church uh, in the West, Uh, although the church is continuing to grow where the gospel is faithfully, faithfully proclaimed. But in many parts of the world today, God is moving in the most extraordinary ways. Churches are growing in the most incredibly powerful ways and seeing the Holy Spirit very much at work through the bold witness of Christians carrying on what the apostles began. What Jesus initiated here in this final conversation has profoundly affected the whole planet. There is much to give thanks for, but still much to do as the gospel goes to the far corners of the earth. Final question, what about you? Are you part of this? Not are you an apostle, but are you part of Christ's global witness carrying on the witness of the apostles? This is God's mission phase two. It requires patience and prayerfulness. But also as opportunity presents, it requires bold witness as we carry on the work the apostles began. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord God, as we think of the uh, of the mission, the Christian mission around the world, um, the times we're tempted to think it's all our idea are, uh, are crazy and, and wrong, and really. Um, they really put us off. We, we just thank you this morning for the reminder from your word via your apostles that this mission is your idea and that your idea was to send your son and to for his authority to be given to this group of apostles and to send your spirit and for your spirit to dwell amongst your people and uh, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you that even now, 2,000 years later, we are part of this, this church that you're building, this Bride of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Our Father, we pray that you would please uh, captivate uh, us with the amazing work that you have done through Christ and are doing and are continuing and will do through Christ and your Holy Spirit. Our Father, we pray that you would help us each in our own, our own situation. Sometimes we face real difficulty, whether it be personal, uh, in relation to health or relationships, or whether it be in relation to persecution or, or difficulties in standing up for our faith. Father, please give us the strength we need. We pray that you would make us bold and make us thankful. And so we pray all of these prayers in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.